dear brothers and sisters in Christ, what do you want people to think about you? Maybe that's a question that hasn't really crossed your mind since you were in high school or college. Where that is like the end-all, be-all. What do the people around me think of me? I need to have this as my image. I need to have that as my image. I need to make sure that they, they, they see me coming and they think this, that, and the other thing. And, and not the negative stuff. I don't want them to think the negative stuff. I want them to th- see me as somebody that is, is well-dressed, maybe athletic, maybe socially inclined, musically talented. I, I want them to think of me and have this picture in mind. Okay, maybe those, those thoughts don't go away when you leave high school or college. Maybe they continue on with us. As we desire the people around us to, to, to see us and see something very specific about us, a positive characteristic, a positive trait. Jesus takes us with this story about spiritual insincerity. He takes us to this incredible place where he, he shows us what is meaningful, and what means nothing. Listen closely. As Jesus takes on these, these Pharisees, these, these chief priests and the, the teachers of the law, and they come to him during Holy Week and they, they try to put the screws to him, listen what Jesus says. Jesus entered the temple courts and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? History lesson. Five chapters before this, Jesus had told his disciples, look out for the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He had said they are going to bring all sorts of nonsense. They've already brought all sorts of nonsense into the faith of the believers. And I am telling you, it is all wrong. Look out for them. And in so doing, he had undermined their teaching. He, he had taken their, their authority and, and brought it down just a little bit. And now they were seeing Jesus gain all sorts of popularity. And it's Holy Week. Early Holy Week as Jesus is trying to soak up every opportunity to teach. And these Pharisees, these, these teachers of the law, the, the chief priests come to him. And their goal, well, dear brothers and sisters, their goal is nothing good. They, they didn't come to him out of curiosity They didn't come to him out of faithfulness. They came with malicious intent. They wanted to trip him up. They wanted to trap him. They wanted him to say the wrong thing. And so this is how Jesus responds to him. Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? Again, remember these these. Leaders had confronted him in front of everybody. He was in the middle of teaching people and they they hurl this question at him. And so Jesus flips the question around and puts it to them. Because Jesus Jesus has his answer. We all know exactly how Jesus would have answered if he would have been straightforward and and if he would have just, just put it right in their face and said, it comes from heaven and you know I do too. But that's not what Jesus does here. No, not like a a politician that was asked a question that they didn't really want to answer. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is instead taking this question, he's flipping it around on them so that the people around them might understand the hypocrisy of the leaders and the teachers. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people 
for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know. We don't know. Well, it sounds like they at least had a hunch. It sounds like they knew that the, the answers that they could have given, but they weren't really interested in nailing the question. They weren't interested in getting it right. They weren't interested in professing truth or hearing the truth from Jesus. What were they interested in? Optics. They cared about how their response would be received and how Jesus' response would be received. They cared about the strategy of this whole thing so that they could hold this authority to themselves and make sure the people underneath them, these people that were being taught, stayed in their place. Yes, they, weren't cared about the, they didn't care about the truth of what Jesus was teaching. They cared about nothing more than how they were perceived. Man, that's a problem in the Christian church today too, isn't it? If you look around, you can, you can sort of divide it into to sort of three categories. As we start talking about people that really, really care about their perception. There is the, the consumerist Christian who, who maybe, maybe watches a, listens to a podcaster or watches uh, some type of sermon online just to sort of get their Christian pick-me-up. None of it really sinks in. It, it doesn't really need to have any meaning for the rest of their life. They just want to stop feeling bad for like 30 minutes. And so they, they, they add just a little bit of Jesus and then they move on and they say, okay, whew, good, we've, we've got enough Jesus for the week. Or maybe there's the, the checklist Christian who, who looks at the Christian life and goes, okay, I go to church three times a month, check. I volunteer for two hours a month, check. I give a certain amount of offerings every month, Check. I'm good. I don't need anything else from God. God doesn't need anything else from me. I have gotten this transaction thing down just right. The checklist is done. I'm a Christian. I'm not worried about it. There's the consumerist Christian, the checklist Christian, and then there's the compartmentalized Christian. And I think that's the one that we're really looking at here when we look at the leaders and the chief priests of the law here. These are the people that, that they see faith as this file that they put into the filing cabinet of their life. They slam that drawer shut and then they live however they want to. Yes, we see that in our world too, don't we? Maybe even to our chagrin, we see it in our lives. As we, we put our faith in the, its rightful place, we put it kind of off to the side. Jesus, Jesus sits in the corner and so we know he's always there, but but he doesn't need to affect the, the social life that I have. He doesn't need to affect my, my life at work. He, he doesn't permeate into, into every other aspect of my life. He just kind of stays in his place. Maybe there's a little bit of, of each of those in, in everybody, but Jesus is calling out that last one very, very specifically in these teachers of the law because he knows it exists. He knows that they are not interested in living faith. They are interested in talking about it, commanding it, mandating it. They are all words and no action. So listen to how he deals with them. He says, then neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Jesus shuts it down. He goes, look, if we're not going to have an honest conversation, if you're not actually curious, then you know what? Go your own way. Because whether I give you the truth or not, you are not interested in the truth. In, in one sentence, in front of all of these people, he really points out the leader's hypocrisy. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. 
He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he didn't go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first, they answered. One claimed devotion to his father. The other one showed devotion to his father. And therein lies the the, the crux of the text. Is Jesus is, is asking these, these teachers of the law, does this actually mean anything to you? Or is it all lip service? Is this all just stuff that we say to one another in order to, to make ourselves feel better about our, our place in the kingdom of God or our place in society? And it causes us to, to examine our lives the exact same way. Are we one hour Christians 167 other hours in the week not Christians? Or are we Christians for the full 168? Are are we living the faith that we espouse to? Are we looking at the commands of God and saying, yes, that applies to me, and, and Lord my God, help me to keep this commandment every day of my life? Or are we saying, you know what, that one is more of a my neighbor commandment, less less mine. Does faith in our lives show itself in action? Does it show in itself in devotion? Not just to our Lord Jesus, but to the people around us. Do, do we praise God for his love and his mercy, and then we go home or we go to work and, and we treat our, our, our brother, sister, our, our neighbor, our friend, our spouse, our children, with anything but love and mercy? In that way, do we, do we kind of compartmentalize Jesus and say, this is where you belong, in church, in this, this 202 Richland Ave West area, but when I go home, when I go to work, you only belong there if, if I really need to invoke your name for something. It's a struggle we all have because it's a struggle of the sinful nature that takes the, the, the word and the will of God and, and, and wants to constantly push it further and further away from us. And so hear what, hear what Jesus says about the Christian life especially for we who who struggle with this day in and day out as we struggle against our sinful nature. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Whoa! They would not have been a fan of that. There is no chance these teachers of the law, these high-standing, high-ranking church officials would have liked to hear what Jesus is saying to them. But guess what? It's true. And as we've already learned, Jesus only cares about what is true. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness. And you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. The tax collectors and the prostitutes understood who they were. They understood what was going on in their life. And when they heard John the Baptist, when they heard Jesus say, repent, turn from your ways and live, they felt crushed by the law, but then immediately freed by the gospel. They looked at their life and they said, my Lord and my God, help me to overcome my unbelief. And sure enough, 
our Lord Jesus announced forgiveness to them and then said, you are marching through those big, beautiful doors into the kingdom of God because guess what? You are real about your sin and God is real about your forgiveness and salvation. I'm going to take a wild guess and say you did not show up to Peace Lutheran Church this morning assuming that your pastor was going to compare you to tax collectors and prostitutes. And yet here we find ourselves. It is the one theme that, that, that lies between us and those people is that we are real about our sin, about our shortcomings, about needing God's forgiveness. And guess what? Our Lord Jesus was so real about it that just a few days from this moment, he was going to go to the cross and suffer and die to bring you closer to him so that you might be closer to your Father in heaven. To destroy all sin and guilt and shame so that those tax collectors and prostitutes didn't have to be known by those things anymore the same way that you don't have to be defined by your sin anymore. Dear brothers and sisters, that, that's repentance. You heard Jesus quickly say there that, that John came to show you the way of righteousness. Clearly, that's not by living a perfect life. No, the way of righteousness is found in one place. And that is a life that is entirely devoted to and focused on repentance. No, not just moping around, kicking your foot and going, oh, God hates me, I stink. Something so much more than that. Knowing that God abhors the sin in your life so much that he took it and he put it on his son to remove it from you so that you did not have to worry about it ever again. Yes, dear brothers and sisters, that, that's the heartbeat of the church. The heartbeat of a life of faith is knowing that your God is there and that you can be entirely, completely, 100% real with him about the sin in your life because he already knows it and he already took it away by the death of his son. If I have said it once, I have said it a thousand times and if it is new for you today, well then congratulations because it's probably not new for everybody here. This church is not a yacht club. It is a hospital. When we walk in the doors of this church, we don't do so in order to walk in and show, us, show off the 40-foot cruise liner that is our life of faith to one another. We come in here to confess our sins, to go before God and say, my Lord, my God, I, I, I need you. More than anything else in my life, I need you. We come into this spiritual hospital here and know that Jesus has a balm for us, the gospel message of him dying and rising from the grave to take away our sins. We know that that is not an 80% cure, a 90% cure. That is a 100%, no doubt about it, take it to the bank cure for our sin. It's a cure that, that removes every single stain Shame, guilt, and fear away from us. I know you're a sinner. You know your pastor's a sinner. God knows we're sinners. That's repentance. 
owning our sin and then handing it to God because he and only he knows exactly what to do with it to crinkle it up and get it out of your sight. Why do you come to peace? Why are you here? Like right now, you, you all made the choice to, to, to get out of bed maybe earlier than you normally would have on a Sunday morning. You all made the choice to get out of bed and come to, to peace today. Why? It could have been because we have such great refreshments out there. It could be because we are the friendliest church in the county. It could be because we have beautiful, beautiful music. It could be because we have a devilishly handsome pastor. It could be... It could be because it's so accessible, because the pastor doesn't wear a robe. It could be because you have friends here. It could be a, a multitude, a plethora of reasons that you come to church here today and have your membership at this church. But dear brothers and sisters in Christ, all of those reasons fall so much lower on the list than the fact that we are a church of repentance and forgiveness, of sin and grace, a place where we can be real, not spiritually insincere, but spiritually sincere about sin and about salvation. That's what keeps us coming back. That's what serves the heart, as the heartbeat of the Christian life, as Martin Luther says, is that as much as your heart is beating, that is as many times as you are able to come before the Lord and say, I'm sorry, and as many times as he will say, I forgive you of your sins and I will remember them no more. That's sincerity. That's real. That is something worth pursuing and chasing. Repentance and forgiveness gets to serve as the soul of our church because we know it's always there for us. We know that in God's word and in God's sacraments, he makes us pure and clean and righteous and shame and guilt-free. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, you know what? I asked you at the beginning, what do you want people to think about you? And maybe, maybe at first you would think, well, I want them to think that I've got my family all put together. I want them to think that, uh, that I am a, a, a hardcore servant here at peace. There are a lot of good things that we might want to be and we might want others to perceive us as. But at the top of that list, how do you want people to see you? I want them to know for a 100% fact that they're dealing with a sinner. And I want them to know with 100% certainty that they're dealing with someone who has been saved by Jesus. May that always be our identity. Amen.